and welcome to episode four of season four of Psychological. Psychological is a podcast that started during lockdown and it aims to make an evidence-based contribution to conversations about child and adolescent well-being, development and learning and neurodiversity. I'm Dr. Lou Thomas, your podcast host. I'm neurodivergent, so I'm autistic and I have ADHD. And today I've got my first repeat guest, my good friend and first ever podcast guest all the way back from the start of season three, Dr. Karen McLennan. So Karen is an assistant professor in neurodiversity at Durham University who researches mental health, autism and sensory reactivity. And she's on the phone with me today to talk about one of her recent papers. It's a big spider web of things, sensory experiences of autistic adults in public spaces. Hello, Karen. How are you doing? Hi, Lou. I'm super happy to be back chatting with you on Psychological. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear about this paper too. I've seen it a lot on Twitter with people sharing it and things, so I'm really excited to hear more about (laughs) it. Probably mostly me sharing it, I've been... (laughs) I think we are really proud of this paper. So, yeah, yeah I've been sh- sharing it far and wide. So. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear about it. So, we'll jump straight in and start off with what you found. So, would you be able to tell me what you discovered in this piece of research? Yeah. So, um, as you know, my research looks a lot at understanding more about how autistic people experience the sensory world in general Um, and so this study was really focused on understanding more about that in public places and the the effect of public places Mm -hmm. so the kind of main things that this study um, found um, was that um, finding kind of places that autistic people find to be either disabling or enabling due to their sensory environments Mm -hmm. Um, so some of the main places that um, uh, they told us that can be very disabling for them are Places such as um, supermarkets, eateries like restaurants and cafes, uh, public transport, shops, um, certain shops and shopping centres, high streets and kind of towns and city Mm centres, and also healthcare settings um, Mm. such as hospitals and doctor surgeries. Um, But they also told us a lot about places that are more enabling for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So... um, kind of as part of that there was uh outdoor spaces um Mm -hmm. so green spaces mostly um stadiums um some other retail shops so there was some that were disabling some that were enabling some that came up that were enabling were places like uh uh, flying tiger Mm -hmm. and like bookshops um there was also uh cinemas and theaters were talked about as being enabling um live music venues and clubs um and also museums Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, those were kind of the, some of the places that um, autistic people told us were more enjoyable and enabling for them. Um, and the study also um, showed kind of looked at different principles that underlie mm-hmm. whether public spaces are found to be disabling mm-hmm. or enabling for autistic people because of the sensory in factors. Yeah. Um, and um, that we've identified six principles. So the first principle is related to the what we called it sensory scape, um, but that's like the actual sensory landscape. Yeah. So that's relating to, you know, sounds, lights, smells, things like that in the environment. Um, but also kind of thinking about the intensity of that, um, whether it's multisensory, whether it's really, you know, um, high intensity mm-hmm. um, inputs. Um, and also um, kind of how much um, control that you have over that mm-hmm. sensory environment um, and things like that. 
Um, but that kind of actual sensory landscape was only one of the six things that wow. can make these places enabling and disabling. And all these other factors are also related to sensory experiences, but they don't actually are related to specific sensory inputs. So there was also space factors. Um, so whether um, spaces felt really kind of enclosed or, you know, impeding. So, for example, in supermarkets, you know, really high aisles that maybe people were really crowded in. Um, and that kind of crowding was one of the elements that was really related to that space. So places where you felt like you had more space um, and, yeah, were less likely to have people brushing up against you or kind of, you know, these kind of enclosed spaces can make spaces more disabling mm. um, in the sense that it can intensify the sensory environment. Yeah. Um, predictability was also one. So um, being able to, so places that were more, provided more information, mm -hmm. um, had more certainty, um, or just people knew more about kind of what to expect before entering them. Oh, Those so kinds of things made yeah, it, yeah. That when you said about space and I was like, ah, but like concerts and things are good, but you know what to expect. I'm, I'm the same. Like I'm fine in a crowd in a concert because I know where I'm going. It is predictable. But if there's suddenly a crowd somewhere else, not good. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> that's one of the factors that exactly feeds mm. into that being difficult. And I think especially like a lot of these places like um like supermarkets like you don't know sometimes you can go and it's really quiet sometimes you can go and it's really really busy same with restaurants and also if you've not been to a restaurant before or a certain supermarket before you know if you're going to like a live music venue it's you generally go to the same place and as you said you can prepare for it and you yeah. know kind of what to expect so um you know more enabling places are more expected and they provide more information so you can look up online see you know uh, you know a lot of you know, especially shops or or um music venues and museums you can go on like their instagram or their facebook or their website and you can see a lot more about the information like and what to expect whereas like if you go online for a supermarket you don't get images of what <laughs> what it looks like you get the car yeah. yeah exactly and like you also you know supermarkets and places like that change all the time and they don't communicate that so um that was kind of one of the one of the other factors um kind of interlinked a bit with that um as well as the sensory environment was um adjustments mm -hmm. um which obviously as we, as we know <laughs> are really important um but i think uh more, the more disabling spaces were talked about as having either trying to provide adjustments such as um, maybe recognizing the um sunflower sunflower lanyard scheme um for hidden disabilities um but maybe not recognizing when you actually are in that space what that means um so yeah. like a lot of supermarkets and um, people were telling us about experiences of going to supermarkets and people being like oh you're, you're mask exempt and then being like no. that's not what this is for yeah <laughs> um, a lot now yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, things like, you know, a lot of places have now started initiatives like um, quiet hours or mm -hmm. autism hours or sensory yeah. friendly hours. They have different names, um, but then being at kind of really inappropriate times for everybody, like, you know, so it doesn't really serve everyone. And a lot of people saying, you know, I kind of deserve more more than an hour yeah. <laughs> to be able to access your space. That's not really access. That's um, mm -hmm. even though it's a helpful scheme, it's not actually fully fit for purpose um and a lot of the need for adjustments talked about with things like having um communication or like being able to cater for different communication styles mm. um, or needs um so for example um in relation to restaurants talked about as being disabling because 
you maybe can't um you have to order like you speaking to a person who comes over and puts uh, pressure on you um and pace pressures was also part of that kind of disabling environment so you're fast paced and expected to mm. speak to people to get what you need um whereas more enabling spaces kind of allowed um you know you to be able to get what you need without maybe having to speak to a person and being able to take your time and not feel rushed um and then the last one was related to recovery okay um so that was um related to autistic people telling us that they felt like they really needed if they were in a very very burdensome sensory environment mm. being able to have time to like have a minute <laughs> in a quiet space yeah. to recoup and to be able to go back out there again mm. um and I, obviously that's something that's really lacking across all places at the moment like mm -hmm. we know that you know quiet rooms and stuff are starting to become a thing that's integrated into some places like stadiums yeah. or shopping centers but you know that's not something you ever see in a restaurant or a supermarket or anything like that so yeah. um run away and sleep into toilets <laughs> yes exactly so um you know these are kind of all as you said like all these other factors mm. are are integrated with that sensory environment and I think that one thing that you know the the autistic people park in the research highlighted that it's not necessarily like we just need to adapt sensory input there's all these other things yeah um that are related to that um oh and I didn't got it didn't even mention understanding understanding was also talked about sorry I completely missed that one out which is a really really key one yeah it was <laughs> that focused on the fact that people feel very stigmatized and misunderstood and there's so much misunderstanding and stigma around autism and sensory processing mm -hmm. differences and things like that so even if you know you're you you know want to seek help or support in any of these spaces it's currently not uh, mm. understood and things like people felt very judged for being able to access things that they need such as you know using toys uh, fidget toys mm. or um stimming stuff like that and feeling really judged mm. you know being able to self-regulate and then that also also makes these um spaces mm -hmm. kind of more disabling um, yeah people. so yeah. I think it, you know adapting the environment is one thing but all these other things are stuff that need to be addressed to mm. be able to um improve places yeah, that makes sense yeah I end up having to have like badges on my bag when I'm on the train and stuff that actually say that I'm autistic and sort of have sensory things going on so that mm. <laughs> so that when I am like stimming on the train or if I'm playing with something instead of people just thinking that I'm really weird which happens a lot I can actually be like no that's why and I get really stressed if trains are delayed as well and then like mm. yeah it can be I, I can, I guess, look weird if I'm stressed and I'm making weird noises because I'm stressed about train delays. So I have to like out myself in order to, for yeah. some people, maybe be okay with it or if they just walk away because they're scared. <laughs> yeah, I think there's just, I mean, there clearly is so much, such a huge lack of public understanding mm. anyway. Um, mm. And, you know, I obviously that... Uh, you know, staff and management of public places are equally lack the understanding mm. so it can be very I can see how it can really build up 
world to see people throughout the day of yeah so you know you and I think that's the thing it's really important to think about that people aren't accessing these spaces in isolation this is all part of your day-to-day what you're doing so you might have got up got a train gone to work popped into the supermarket got a train again like you Mm. know if and if all these places you're experiencing this kind of you know a stigma and lack of adjustments mm. and onslaught of sensory input and nowhere that is an understanding space or a space where you can actually seek refuge as you said like what have you got to do hide in the toilet and feel yeah. um yeah. and I think there really is this just big disconnect in understanding of like just not these places have I think these places have a that and uh, there's a necessity for them to be able to know about this stuff and to mm. adapt and to be more accessible because that's the whole point is there are laws in place for mm. you know to people not to feel discrimination against or not to, yeah. you know, to be able to access these spaces and I think currently what that looks like isn't actually up to scratch and that you know there's more that needs to be done and obviously there's mm. more things coming into policy and stuff to start mm-hmm. pushing it in that direction but yeah. um the businesses really need to take some form of like responsibility on yeah pioneering that as well exactly yeah I mean like, that ties in I guess as well with the, with the next question which is always how, what was it that motivated you to look at this but yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's clearly really needed because people are being disabled by public places um no it's a re- it's an interesting project actually um uh, it uh, the PI for this project, um, Dr. Kathy Manning, who I know you've also had on um, yep. before, and has mentioned the project, um, and it was it was really a, a, like a public outreach grant that fueled this. And I actually joined later to kind of support the research mm-hmm. um, because um, as part of this project, with in collaboration with autistic people and designers and um, researchers, um, it's the aim was to start educating businesses and the public about um, sensory processing and 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 autism and or specifically with like in sensory processing differences with autistic people yeah um obviously because other people also have sensory processing yeah. differences but this focus was yeah we're in the kind of autistic community mm-hmm. um and we ran developed um obviously this research project to kind of find out what's I mean, from autistic people, what they were experiencing, because actually it's mm. not really been done extensively um, before. Mm. Um, and then um, out of that came the Sensory Supermarket event, mm-hmm. um, which was designed um, in collaboration with um, Becky from Sensory Spectacle. Mm-hmm. And that was um, an immersive experience that we held at Pearl in Dagenham. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just a big educational outreach event where we got people to really start considering what autistic people are going through and we had the autistic voice represented you know their actual experiences people in the focus groups um who shared their experiences people could listen to their words Mm -hmm. um through recordings and things like that um and yeah we really wanted to educate on kind of actually these things that aren't so hard to implement and that can be implemented into these businesses can make a huge difference for people mm-hmm. um and um but by the way supermarkets was because that was uh, the research showed that that was the most the most commonly talked yeah. about disabling place yeah. um and yes yeah, so we really wanted to show that look if you can't lower the lights or you know 
take the sound away or take the busyness away there's all these other things that you can do which can actually make a huge difference like even if you're just making it more predictable communicating your changes and having Mm. a little refuge spot like that can already make steps towards making these places more enabling um, and accessible for autistic people Um, so that was kind of the the that outreach event and developing that was kind of the main aim of the project Mm. and then we managed to get this kind of really wonderful informative piece of research um out of it as well so mm-hmm. it's now given us lots of directions that we can kind of continue researching down and now really start pushing businesses and public places um to actually make changes yeah um, that's really good yeah. yeah how did you do the study that we're talking about today yeah so it was um a qualitative piece of of research um obviously because that's really important for us to be able to get the experiences from autistic people um, and we co-produced that with the autistic community as well mm-hmm. um, and we conducted a series of online focus groups mm-hmm. um, with um, autistic people um, and um, the main focus for this study was bit with adults mm-hmm. um, but there was another line of research developed with um, schools okay. um, to work in specialist provision and mainstream um but we had a lot of challenges with that because of the pandemic mm. um so we obviously schools were very much in survival mode so it was really hard working with them but it's something we still want to pick back up no. yeah that's um because obviously we want to make sure that people kind of across the spectrum are supported yeah. um and their voices are heard in yeah. in, in research um but uh yes yeah, so we we did kind of different um analyses on on the focus group um uh, interviews that we had um so we managed to do kind of a content analysis which is categorizing kind of different places that were talked about so we managed Mm -hmm. to kind of count um kind of in that work you know which places came up most frequently because obviously Mm -hmm. we have a lot of different places talked about um and then we did a thematic analysis so that's really kind of starting to you know pick up these these themes um that people talk about in 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 the in their uh, in the focus groups mm-hmm. um and that's where we developed these these principles um from mm-hmm. as well um and we represented that as a kind of visual web um mm-hmm. image which was designed by um emily um who um everyone probably knows her better as um 21 and sensory um she's on um instagram and twitter and all the socials tiktok and she's got a podcast yes on sensory um and uh yeah she was really involved in the project throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing got involved in the analysis um and the design and mm-hmm. yeah everything mm-hmm. um so yeah and here we are, published paper now. So no, that's exciting. I think the, the web is on the Century Street website, isn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah. the Century yeah, Street yeah. website. We made yeah. sure so that we have communicated the findings because it was an outreach project. Yeah. The team has um, especially Catherine um Willie have made a lot of accessible materials so that yeah. people can really learn yeah. um, but also that the autistic community can feedback on results and things so yeah, yeah. the website's got really um accessible formats of um of the research yeah. um that you can read rather than the really heavy research yeah. paper although I like to think the research paper is also written accessibly but um yeah uh and but obviously we talked about it on various podcasts and things as well so that people can have um more accessible um 
or different formats of yeah. you know, access the, the research findings. Yeah, I'll link the website so that and anyone that's listening, if they want to kind of like look at it and see if, if there's any bits that they missed or anything, they can see it on there as well. So that will be in the description for the podcast, which is good. Um, the next question that I kind of always ask is, what do you think we can learn from this study? But that's clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. As, as I said earlier, de- we can learn so much about this really, from my opinion, simple things that mm-hmm. should be standard in these places mm-hmm. that will benefit autistic people to be able to actually access places. Yeah. Um, and as I said, I feel like, you know, the understanding of what accessibility means and, uh, you know, having spoken with people from different businesses, they're like, oh, yeah, we, you know, really thought about access in terms of like physical disabilities, but mm-hmm. like, and that's always been a huge focus. And obviously there's been a lot and it's great, but it now needs to expand and mm-hmm. think about that on a, on a wider level um, to make sure that everybody is included um in these places and everybody's enabled by these places and I think that's the thing that is really important to stress is it's like accessibility and access is one thing but being mm-hmm. enabled so you can thrive is yeah. a different thing and that is the level that we should be at it shouldn't yeah. just be oh well you can go into this building if you want to like mm. that, you know and that shouldn't be the bar the bar should be that people should be able to go into these places and not be disabled by them yes um so I think that there's a lot and I think also when you speak to people about some of these adjustments it does span across different like across neurodiversity really mm. you know there's if things like predictability you know a lot of different people really are affected by that like you know people with anxiety like you know it doesn't matter where that comes from like you know being able to have you know more information and being able to have more certainty about a place can really make a huge impact on a lot of people um so yeah I really think there's a lot and I think that it it, as you said it it is definitely shifting that way and you know there's been a new design guide that's come out um related to neurodiversity and this is talking about like built environment design yeah and not it was nice to see I've read it it's very long (laughs) Yeah, very technical um but it 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 really maps onto our research which is fantastic but it also it you know it expands any a, a lot of different neurodivergent people um so even it considers people who uh, maybe have dementia and, mm. and things like that as well so it's not just focused That's on good. like on autism but it's focused yeah. on how lots of different brains work um, and also how the standard design guidance works and brought all of that together. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's given this recommendation for actually how new buildings can now be made to be more, um, you know, sensory friendly, effectively. That's the real focus of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but also more predictable, you know, <laughs> have more understanding, have recovery spaces. Like it really does yeah. map onto our findings, which is okay. fantastic. It's great right. that we weren't barking up the wrong tree. Um, yeah. And it's great that those that guide is actually representative of what, you know, like autistic people yeah, have told us as brilliant. well, which is fantastic. Really, really um, so, you know, there's all those changes that I think are coming, but I also think mm-hmm. obviously existing we're a historical country over here. Yeah. We can't start tearing things down and starting again. And I think, you know, that needs to be it. We also need to think about how those things apply to current 
places and buildings mm-hmm. and things like that so yeah yeah awesome sounds fantastic obviously really excited to hear about which things you come out with next and if the child project goes ahead as well the school's one also sounds great so really excited to hear about what's coming next I think I said that at the end of the last episode which is why when you've got another exciting paper you're here again (laughs) (laughs) thanks hopefully I can keep doing this yeah (laughs) that would be great yeah so I'm gonna so it's the end of the paper questions now I'm going to ask you the same question as last time. I don't know if you're going to have different advice this time because I asked you before, but uh, if you do have any advice for early career career researchers, sorry, or students that might be listening, do you have any advice for them? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can't even remember what my advice, I think my advice last time was to like work-life balance, I believe. It was. was, Yeah, that's usually my go-to is literally just like, don't kill yourself over work. Yeah. Um, this time what should we go for I would say that oh especially for students actually Mm, is that to like get involved with learning and listening to like the podcasts and books and you know uh social media accounts and things like that like if you are interested in like neurodiversity research um that actually like you can learn a lot Mm based on like you know because I feel like especially if you're the kind of when you're learning people kind of really force you down read research papers read research papers and you know what I mean and I'm like they can be really hard concepts in those but if you don't know base concepts it can be really really overwhelming and then you feel stupid to be honest like I mean I still read papers sometimes that make me feel stupid um (laughs) I know I know I'm not it's just that you know it's just the way it's yeah yeah so I think like you know I I really always encourage my students and um you know and uh PhD students etc to like get involved with listening to podcasts Mm -hmm. and listening to um I mean even going on TikTok's great you you know you really absorb it and and it might not be science backed like everything you hear but like I feel like it really starts giving you this understanding of the realm in which you're in which this research is situated and I think it gives you a better like critical ability to yeah. look at research and be like actually is that harmful for the autistic mm. people or neurodivergent yeah. people um so yeah I feel like it's a great learning tool as long as you're putting your kind of critical hat critical on hat. And, yes, you know I mean like we're not going to yeah. read everything we see on Facebook and take it as facts like we're, yeah. not, we're not about that but um yeah I think it's like I mean especially podcasts like this one which is actual researchers and you can fun. learn but you don't need to read the paper you can just listen to us tell you about it and then read the paper when you need to obviously integrate yeah. it into your work um but yeah I think um that's a very practical yeah that's good advice I think it's also one that I haven't had before either and it ties in with plugging the podcast whilst you're on it that's quite meta <laughs> I I plug this podcast to everybody like, oh. regularly I tell all my students I'm it because obviously I'm a developmental researcher mm. um mm. so I'm always like listen to the psychological podcast because oh. it, that half these papers are on there now <laughs> fantastic look at that that's great thank you <laughs> you are welcome yeah, I'm you. like invite me back <laughs> yes thank you for the love and also thank you for listeners for listening in as well um thank you so much for joining us you can find out more about Karen and her work by following the links in the podcast description on Buzzsprout or in your podcast app and join me again at the same time next week for another episode of Psychological bye mm-hmm.
Thank you.